Good morning, Grace Church. How you doing? Last time I can say this, good morning, Grace Church 930 service. It's a big deal. I'm not kidding. If you come at 930, we'll, we'll smile as you walk in late. It'll be cool. It'll probably be like mid-sermon, so you're welcome. It's safe to walk in late next week. Tell your friends. Um, we, we are excited about the schedule change, uh, not so much because of the change in time, uh, but because of what we're trying to do as, as a leadership team in the life of the church. So uh, as, as a way of like adding on to Jesse's announcements here, uh, we started this series on prayer trying to say, like, as we get going, um, I, my name's Josh, I became the pastor here like six weeks ago, so hey, how's it going? Uh, as we got going, I thought, let's pray together. That seemed wise, so we started praying. And then we, we said, let's become a church of extraordinary prayer. And then after that, it felt like, let's become a church of extraordinary connection. And connection is not just on Sunday mornings, but we can certainly foster that on Sunday mornings. So we invite you to stay late. We're going to have lots of fun outside doing happy hour stuff together. We're going to ask the 11 o'clock to come early. And we're going to ask you guys to meet people and, like, get to know people. I know that's crazy, right? And, like, take people to lunch. Crazy. I would say watch football with people, but that's about to be over. I guess you could still watch a little bit of football. Um, if I know... Unless you're a 49ers fan, none of your teams are playing. Uh, let's just not talk about football right now. It's, it's too, too much pain involved in that. Um, but stick around, hang out with people. What else do I got in here? Uh, also, when there's a service time change, it's an, it's an opportunity to invite people. Um, here's something that I'm going to do this next week. Uh, I'm going to send a personal email to a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people on the Grace Church email list. And I'm going to personally invite them to Grace Church. Uh, next week. And I wouldn't ask you to join me in that. If you know people that haven't found a church home or just kind of floating around, would you invite them back to Grace Church next week? We're going to start a new sermon series uh, going through the book of Mark. We even brought the graphic with us. Check this out. And we're going to look at uh, the book of Mark, the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. So here's like, you get to know me. I was like, let's pray together. And you're like, Josh, what's next? Jesus. Let's just like look at Jesus, right? It's just crazy. Like, let's look at Jesus for like a year. So we're going to be in Mark for like a long time. That's, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Got, okay. Some of you are like, I don't know yet. We'll see. We'll see. Je Jesus, Jesus is crazy. It's great. Uh, but he, he'll get to offend you in the, all year. It'll be awesome. Uh, in, in the best, I, mean, I say that positively. Okay. Um, let me keep going. It's going to be great. We're going to immerse ourselves in the life of teaching of Jesus, and we would like for you to invite your friends to come back and, uh, and let Jesus lead us into the desired future. Uh, awesome. Okay, here we go. We're going to finish out the sermon series today, Build the Altar, Call for Fire, and it seemed like an appropriate place to finish was using a minor prophet. So if you have a Bible, would you grab it and turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, there's people in the back will bring you a Bible if you need one. You can take it home with you. Uh, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and Pastor Scott will... We'll hand you one. No shame in turning to page one if you need to find Habakkuk. That's, uh, that, that happens. The whole intent of this sermon series was to put before you a template of how God moves in the world. And the template is really simple. Human effort, divine intervention. Human effort, divine intervention. That's how God moves in the world. Build the altar, call for fire. Uh, and so we're going to look at... The, the way that we can lean in as a church to be people who build the altar and call for fire. And I shared with you a, a quote by Pastor David Platt that says, The greatest hindrance in the church today is the people of God trying to do the work of God apart from the power of the Spirit of God. And we've said we want to be a people who, who need the power of the Spirit of God in our life. We need divine intervention. But as we close out this series, here, here's the question I want to ask. Uh, what if you've been building the altar calling for fire and God is not doing anything? 
What if you have stuff in your life where you don't like where you are, you don't like how God's running the world? What if you're stuck? What do you do in that space? And so my first sermon at Grace Church, I preached on bearing one another's burdens. And 214 people responded by writing their burdens on an index card and turning it in. At our first elder meeting, we passed around these index cards and we prayed for you. Uh, Last week at staff meeting, we passed around these index cards and prayed for you. If I could hand these out in the crowd right now, they're all anonymous. I think one guy wrote his name, but it was like a first name. It was like John. So if you're John, thank you. Uh, But that's that's a pretty generic male name. Um, These are are all anonymous. And guys, these are crushingly sad, hard things happening in the life of the church. Like so hard. So instantly you're like... Can, can we pass these out and you guys put your name on it so we can, like, help you and love you? Because it's, I feel alone. I give lip service to God, but I can't handle the issues in my life. I feel like I'm a burden to everyone around me. Uh, we're struggling to get pregnant, and I don't know who to talk to. Overcoming spiritual abuse and forgiving people in my past. Uh, no one in my life thinks I'm the most important person to them. I just grab these. This is not strategically putting five on top. Like, it, it's a lot going on in our lives. There's a lot going on in the church. And so it seemed wise to take the last sermon and say, what do we do when we don't like how God's running things? Or what do we do when it feels like God's not moving in our midst? And so I want to I lay before you a spiritual discipline that will help you answer this question. And the book of Habakkuk is, is a great template for us to look at um, in light of these burdens. I'm going to come back to this. Uh, I was first introduced to the book of Habakkuk as a teenager going to a summer camp. I don't know if you were anything like me, but summer camp was the height of the year, and uh, especially Christian summer camp, not like basketball camp, but like Christian summer camp, and you would save up all your sins. If you have any church background, you save up all your sins, right? And then on Thursday night at summer camp, it was cry night, and you just confessed all your sins to everybody, and you felt so renewed, and you were on fire for the Lord, whatever that meant, you know, and like, and the next year you went along sinning again until the next Thursday came along and you cried again. It was just a roller coaster of Christianity. That was my whole upbringing. I, anybody, amen? No? Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, you know cry night. It's, I'm not proud of that. I'm, I don't know any of us should be proud. Okay, but it's still happening. One year, I digress. One year, we get the theme for camp, and it's out of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. And the, the theme of camp is beyond belief. And Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5 says this, I'm going to do something in your day. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you were told. It was amazing. We're like, oh my God. This is going to be the best cry night ever. God's going to do something beyond belief. The nations are going to come to know Jesus. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be amazing. We got t-shirts beyond belief. We got coffee mugs. We got stickers. It's the best day ever. We get to camp. And to give you some context, the, the preacher of the camp was a very large offensive lineman size African-American man with the deepest voice that would scare, put the fear of God in every teenager in the world. And that was, his name was Vody Bauckham, and he's the preacher. He comes on stage, and he lovingly says, I do not know who thought it was a good idea to make Habakkuk 1.5 the theme verse of this summer camp. I do not know who thought it was a good idea to print this on T-shirts and give it to children. I do not know, because... Habakkuk 1.5 says, I'm going to do something in your day you wouldn't believe. But Habakkuk 1.6 says, I am going to raise up the Babylonians to come and destroy you. That's what verse 6 says. And the problem with the Bible is you can't just pick one verse that makes you feel good and not read the context of the verse. And so here here we go. Uh, Beyond belief, it's about to go bad for you teenagers. And we're like, oh, my God. So I still, to this day, open the book of Habakkuk with, like, one eye open. Okay, so... 
That's the context that I have with this book. The context around the time of Habakkuk, just for you to know kind of what's going on here, he was a contemporary of Jeremiah. This is around the time of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there's all these kings that are coming and going, and it's almost, and this is ridiculous, but it's almost like the people of Israel are going through a summer camp experience. Like they have these high highs and really low lows and high highs and low lows. And the kings that are coming, I mean, all the way back to Saul and David, like you've got all these kings, and some of them worship God, some of them don't, some of them do, some of them don't. That's where the story of Elijah comes from. So this is just happening. The godliest king, this is how bad it is. The godliest king of all, I'm not making this up. I don't have time, but 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Write that down in your notes and read it later. The godliest king is an eight-year-old boy. I have an eight-year-old. <laughs> if she was the king, we would just watch Encanto and eat ice cream all day. That's all we would do if she was the king. That's it. The godliest king is an eight-year-old boy named Josiah who, like, grows up at 16, creates great reformation. It's amazing what's going on in the people of God. His son becomes king. It all goes back down. That's the context of Habakkuk. He's a prophet, and he's got to give a word to the people for God. Now, most prophets, this is so important, most prophets, they spoke, they heard from God and spoke to the people. That's, that's what you see in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Habakkuk is different because in the book of Habakkuk, he doesn't get a word from God and speak to the people. The book of Habakkuk is God and Habakkuk having a conversation. That, that's what's fascinating about this. And so we're going to read how a prophet prays when he doesn't like how God is running things. How a prophet prays when the burdens are too many. How a prophet prays when there seems to be all overwhelming. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, in light of, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians to destroy you. Remember that? Seared in our memory. Remember that? I'm going to do something you wouldn't even believe, Habakkuk. The foreign armies are going to take over the Israelites. In light of that, here's his prayer back to God. In verse 12, O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. Remember the Babylonians. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you're pure and you cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on our hooks and caught in the nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are our gods who have made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquest? Habakkuk essentially says, God, you cannot be serious. No way. No way. Those guys get to come and punish us. They are worse than us. They cannot be allowed to do this. That's not within your character to allow this to happen. This does not get to be the way because they're going to take glory for their own name. They're going to raise up more false gods. You're, you Surely you're going to punish them too, right? They, they can't get away with this forever. Habakkuk is going to God and saying, there's no way this is the way. No way this is happening. You cannot be serious, God. And this is called a biblical lament. A lament. And it's likely why God in his sovereignty put the book of Habakkuk in the Bible because God is showing us something here. We've got to catch this. 
God is showing us how he expects us to relate to him and that this is a spiritual discipline. You see this in the book of Lamentations and you see this in the book of Psalms. Over 40%, around 42% of the Psalms are lament Psalms. They show us how to complain to God when we don't like the circumstances of evil around us or what's going on in our lives. But listen, church, we are not good at this. How do I know we're not good at this? Let me give you one data point. There's an organization called CCLI, and they organize all of the worship songs sung in churches, and they create a top 100 list. CCLI. Of the top 100 songs currently be, been sing, being sung by North American churches, four of the 100 would be categorized as lament songs. Four of the 100. While 40% of the psalms in the scriptures are lament psalms. Most of the songs we sing, and I don't want to talk about this too much, but I'm, I'm going to give you a secret now, and you're going to have a hard time worshiping ever again, but welcome to my misery, Okay. Misery loves company. Here we go. Most of our songs are about how awesome we are, not how awesome God is. Most of them. Chelsea, has, she does a great job calling out the, the songs. But there's a song, uh, I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I'm going to sing. I'm, I'm like, Habakkuk wouldn't sing that song. In the presence of his enemies, Habakkuk doesn't raise a hallelujah. He runs and gets in God's face. In the presence of my enemies, I'm going to go yell at the Lord. You want to sing that at the end of the service? <laughs> Raise a hallelujah. No, I'm not. I'll go and complain to God in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> Scream in God's face. No, that, that doesn't grow churches. <laughs> but that is what's happening. This is lamenting. Lamenting in, in Webster's Dictionary is feeling or expressing sorrow or grief. Spiritually, here's what lamenting is. Lamenting is an exercise of faith. Where we engage honestly and vulnerably with God while trusting his promises and submitting to his will. That, that's the spiritual discipline. Book of Lamentations, book of Psalms, Jesus laments in the garden. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is the spiritual discipline that I want us to integrate into our lives in light of the burdens we're carrying. There's a great book by Paul Miller called A Praying Life. If any of you are looking for a book to read, read that one. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And he says this. He says, we think laments are disrespectful. But God says the opposite. Lamenting shows you are engaged with God in a vibrant living faith. We live in a deeply broken world. If the pieces of our world aren't breaking your heart and you aren't in God's face about them, then you have thrown in the towel. God expects this from us. He expects us to go and to, to get in his face and fight for our, our relationship with him in light of all the stuff that's going on. But in this space, I want to give you a distinction that's probably been the most helpful distinction for me regarding lament. It's by a pastor named J.R. Vassar. He says this. He says, lamenting is calling God's character into action. Grumbling is calling God's character into question. Grumbling, calling God's character into question. Lamenting, calling God's character into action. Now, many of us are very good, myself included, are very good at grumbling but are not so skilled at lamenting. The Israelites get in trouble in the Old Testament for grumbling. And what is grumbling? Grumbling is discontent made audible. So you've got all this stuff going on, real hard stuff going on. And every one of those things is a crossroads for us. We can go this way or we can go this way. Grumbling 
looks at the stuff we're going through and says, God's not good. God doesn't see me. God doesn't care about me. God's not trustworthy. God has no concern for my pain. And slowly but surely we start to step away from the God who loves us and knows us and pursues us because we're grumbling. Grumbling goes down. Lamenting goes up. Lamenting says, God, you see what's going on. You're experiencing this. You know what's going on, God. And in your character, will you move and make something happen in that space? But listen, so many things in the world right now that are happening, lots of hard things are happening in the world. Uh, Legit terrible stuff, like legit. In your life, in the world, terrible things are happening. But none of those things, as terrible as they are, none of them are worth losing your relationship with God over. But many people are losing their relationship with God because it is easier to leave the faith than lament the faith. It's easier to just say, I'm going to walk away because these issues are too hard than it is to get in God's face about them and say, God, these burdens have, you've got to move in these places. I'm going to stick this out. But that requires a sense of honesty that's hard for us. But Grace Church, it is impossible to grow in your relationship with God if you are not brutally honest in your relationship with God. It's impossible to grow in your faith if you are not honest with God. Honest with God. So how do we practically do this? I'm going to give you three practical things that are not earth-shattering. You're going to be like, really, Josh, you projected that on the screen? Yeah, it's not earth-shattering, but here we go. Number one, what do we do as a church to lament the burdens that we're going through? Number one, cry out to God. This is the first thing Habakkuk does. The Babylonians are going to destroy us. The first thing he does is he cries out to God and says, you can't be serious. No way that's what's happening. I disagree wholeheartedly with that plan, God. He goes to God with brutal honesty, and right away that's hard for us. Why is that hard for us? Because being honest and going to church are not often connected. (laughs) This is not often a safe place to be honest. The joke is in the church you struggle with finitis, right? Fine. How you doing? Fine, brother. How are you? Fine. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing fine. Like if jokingly, if someone came up to you and you said, how are you doing? And you said, actually, me and my wife screamed at each other the whole ride to church here. I threw my kid's Bible across the car and I slept on the couch last night. You'd be like, whoa. Two, like, and later you'd be like, hey, man, just real quick, I want to tell you the rules. Like no one says that kind of stuff. <laughs> the rules are I ask how you're doing, you say fine, and then we like walk away and never talk to each other again. Like that's the rule. We just come here for like an hour to be cool. That, that's that's the, the thing. This happy hour thing, like no one's actually going to like do it, right? Like we should do it, by the way. It's good. Uh, but there's a certain level of honesty that doesn't feel proper among us. It's hard. But I have evidence that we're struggling right now. <laughs> I have evidence that we're struggling right now. And we need to cry out to God about these things because when something bad happens or hard happens we have a temptation to disengage and not be honest and honestly if if we're not being vulnerable here we're likely not being vulnerable here with the lord and so we we've got to get honest about this stuff and cry out to god Uh, about 10 years ago amy and i were struggling to get pregnant and you look at our life now and we got three kids and a ton of chaos but 10 years ago we experienced a time where we cried out to god for a long time and it didn't work And honestly, um, up until that point, maybe you're like me in this. God had told me yes to a lot of my prayers. And then for three years, he told me no. And I was crying out to God. And for 
honestly, for the first time in my life, he was disappointing me. God was disappointing me. And, and I wanted an answer to my prayers, and I would cry out that we'd get an answer to our prayers, and God didn't answer the prayers. And, and I realized so much of my life, like, is transactional with the Lord. We're like, Lord, you've got to give me what I want. That's the whole point of this. And in those three years where he was telling us no, the question was, Josh, am, this is God to me, Josh, am I your treasure or answered prayers your treasure? Because God, I look back on those years, Amy and I look back and we're like, man, we had a nearness with the Lord that was really hard to communicate. And it's because he was disappointing us. Did you know that every single burden that you're carrying is an opportunity for your strength, for your faith to be strengthened, and that when God is disappointing you, that's actually grace to you, to disappoint you. It's actually good when he does that because it can strengthen your faith. But you've got to pray bold enough to be disappointed. You've got to be bold enough. You've got to be honest enough and pour out your heart to the Lord. Again, we see this all through the scriptures. I want to read to you Psalm 42. I want to show you a model lament prayer of crying out to God. This is King David. In Psalm 42, verse 1, it says this. As the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? So, so far, so good. Verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. That is honesty. Hey, David, how you doing? I'm only eating tears right now. <laughs> Whoa, bro. Too much. My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Cry out to God. Pray your anxiety, pray your depression, pray your frustrations, pray your struggles. Take these burdens and cry out to God. When someone's sick, when someone has a miscarriage, when a job and your whole life trajectory has changed, when depression and anxiety are overwhelming you, when finances are crippling you, when the pressure of work and the fear of the future are weighing heavy on you, when things are going a different way than you thought with your kids or with your wife, or you don't understand how God will let this happen or that happen, or when you watch the news for any period of time at all, cry out to God. And don't call his character into question, call his character into action. But so often we see that stuff and we go, God must not care, God doesn't care, God's not in this. No, we live in a beautiful world and it's also broken. We live in a world that's glorious and it's also terrible. Cry out to God in this space and watch him strengthen your faith. Number one, cry out to God. Number two, ask boldly for help. Ask boldly for help. Make your needs known in faith, full stop. Lamenting is fascinating because it's so real and it's so honest. Habakkuk did not pray, Lord, if it's your will, don't let the Babylonians come and destroy us. He said, God, you better not let the Babylonians come and destroy us. That's how raw and how vulnerable it is. Now, I know many of us, myself included, we pray for someone who's sick and we're like, God, if it's your will. Nothing wrong with that prayer, by the way, but I'm saying, like, pray bold. Go for it. Ask boldly for help. You go to God and we say, we need you. You can make it happen. You have to make it happen. It is possible. You can do it, Lord. 
Don't give, like, let me tell you a secret. God's going to do what he wants anyways. He's going to do his will. Just ask boldly for God to save. Ask boldly for God to move. I remember in, in, our, in our church in Washington, one of our dear friends uh, had a tragedy happen in their family where their three-year-old son was ran over by a tractor in Northern California. Crazy story. And he got life flighted to uh, a hospital in Oakland. And we flew down. And uh, his, his son's the same age as, as our daughter, Jane. And we're on rotation, like going into the room, holding his hand and praying for him in the NICU. And we're doing like hours at a time, one hour at a time. And we go in and there's wires coming out of this three-year-old baby. And it's, I mean, you're at the doorstep of life and death. I am that moment, and his father in that moment, his mom in that moment, none of us are praying if it's your will, God. All of us are praying, God, you are a supernatural God. The story of Christianity is the story of you raising someone from the dead. We know what you're capable of. God, would you do it? Would you provide healing right now? Supernaturally, fix bones. Supernaturally, make stuff happen. We're crying out to God, asking boldly for help. Are we also wondering, why do we live in a broken world where tractor brakes go out? Are we also wondering, why hydraulic lifts go out? Like, Of course, but we're crying out to God, asking boldly for help, making our needs known. That kind of urgency is the kind of prayer life that strengthens your faith. You can do that and trust his will. You can. Habakkuk did it and Jesus did it. I want to read to you some models of how you can pull this off. A little further in Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 2, the conversation keeps going and it says this. I have heard about you, Lord, and I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. So Habakkuk's like, God, I remember. Just, just feel the story for a second. Habakkuk's saying, like, I remember my grandma telling us the story of the Red Sea. I remember stories of the Exodus. I remember the story of Elijah calling down fire from Mount Carmel. I remember the story of Daniel and the lions did when the lions didn't destroy him. I remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where he doesn't get burned by the fire. I have heard about you, Lord, and I'm filled with all by your works. I've heard about you. But in this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. In your anger, remember your mercy. Boldly, God, your character is good. I've seen it throughout generations. In this moment, God, may your character come into action for us. He boldly asks for that. This is what Jesus does in the most profound prayer in the whole history of the world, where Jesus in Mark chapter 14 is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it says this. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. He began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Jesus is not doing fine. The Son of God is not doing fine. And he said to him, these are his best friends, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain with me and watch. Why is his soul sorrowful even to death? Because Jesus is about to take on every single burden in human history past and human history future. He's not doing fine. He's a part of the plan. He agreed to the plan. He's perfectly executed everything in the plan. And now he's in the garden with his three best friends. And he can't even walk very far in verse 35. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed, if it were possible, that this hour might pass from him. Perfectly obeying everything that God has asked. 
a part of the plan to take our burdens, to drink the cup of God's wrath on sin for us. And in verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for, for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the most amazing prayer ever that the Son of God who is in the plan is lamenting the plan. He's vulnerable with his father and he's asking for help even though he knows he can't get help. In other parts of the gospel, it says that in the, in the crucifixion that Jesus could have called town 10,000 angels to make it go away, but he doesn't. Instead, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Like the, the lamenting is what strengthens his faith in the midst of suffering. Grace Church, in the midst of your suffering, will you cry out to God and be bold because that will strengthen your faith. Sin has broken everything. Terrible things are happening. Unbearable things are going on. But no matter what's going on, God is not the bad guy in the story. He's the good guy in the story. And Habakkuk shows us what to do and to move forward. So number one, cry out to God. Number two, ask boldly for help. Not if it's your will, kind of prayers, but just go for it. Ask God what you need. And number three, respond and trust and praise. Responding and trust and praise. This is what Jesus did. This is what David did. This is what Habakkuk did. This is what the early church did as they suffered and struggled and cried out to God. They responded in trust and praise. Because when hard things are happening, it is so easy to get bitter. It is so easy to check out. It's so easy to get disillusioned. And the way that you keep yourself from getting bitter and keep yourself from stepping away from God is actively ongoing lamenting to the Lord what's going on. Because every one of these burdens is an opportunity for you to tangibly see the glory of God go forward. But it's also an opportunity that if they don't go forward, for you to start to think the wrong thoughts about God because of how he responds to this. So this responding in trust and praise is so significant because your life and my life is on the line in how we respond in prayer. Paul Miller talks about this again in one more quote. I want to just read to you his book from the stage, but that's like not a good sermon. But So I just brought two really long quotes. So here's another Paul Miller quote where he says, there's no such thing as a lament-free life. To love is to lament. It's to let your heart be broken by something. If you don't lament over the broken things in the world, then your heart shuts down. Your living vital relationship with God dies a slow death because you open the door of unseen doubt to unseen doubt and you become quietly cynical. This is it right here. Cynicism moves you away from God. Lament pushes you into his presence. So oddly enough, not lamenting leads to unbelief. Reality wins and hope dies. Put another way, the reality of a broken world trumps, triumphs over the new reality of a redeemed world. You miss resurrection and you get stuck in death. Every single one of these things is a crossroads for you to either be stuck in death or to experience resurrection. Every one of these things for you is an opportunity to be pushed closer to God or to grow cynical and to walk away from God. And here's the hardest part of the sermon. I cannot promise you that God will answer every one of those prayers the way you want them to be answered. I cannot even promise you that he will move in all the places you need him to move. God may not answer your prayer your way, but we cannot grow cynical about his character because he didn't answer your prayer your way. We cannot grow hard in our hearts because he didn't answer your prayer your way. 
God's game plan is bigger than just one player. It's bigger than just one church. He's inviting us to trust him in all of this th- in this, these things. God may not answer your prayer and your timing, but would you be bold enough not to lose hope? He may not give you what you want, but would you be bold enough to reject criticism and cynicism? And would you see that in that process your strength is faith strengthened, your faith is strengthened? Would you see that in the end God is the treasure of Christianity, not answered prayers and positivity is the treasure of Christianity? God is the treasure. Christ is the treasure. The Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us is the treasure. The church is the treasure. The gospel is the treasure. Not good vibes for your whole life that sound good in the world. That is not the end game. God is inviting us to trust him even when it's hard. What's fascinating about this is is in social psychology, they talk about how trust is built. And scripture is far more clear on how trust is built because here's what social psychology says creates trust. Vulnerability plus empathy equals trust. Vulnerability plus empathy equals trust. This is the design of lament, to be vulnerable to the Lord and be honest with the Lord what you're going through. And then what God does in response to our vulnerability is provide empathy. The book of Hebrews calls Jesus our empathetic high priest who is able to to give us sympathy in whatever we are going through. So when you are vulnerable with God, you will be met with empathy, and that will build your trust. How can I say with such confidence that God will be empathetic towards you? I know this, not just because the book of Hebrews says it, but because the life of Jesus embodied it. There is nothing that you can't go to Jesus about that he won't meet you and say, I know what that's like. I know that's hard for you. And be empathetic towards you. You can come to him with all of your brokenness and be met with empathy. And that will build trust. The gospel is the most trust-building news in the world because it offers us two beautiful promises. Promise number one, what you are going through, it will have an end date. You will not go through this forever. And the second thing is whatever you are going through, it is not punishment from God. God might be disciplining you. There may be things going on where God is strengthening you and changing you. But how can I say that none of this is punishment? I can say none of this is punishment. If you are a believer in Jesus in this room, none of this is punishment. Because the Bible teaches all of our punishment went to Jesus on the cross. Every bit of our punishment is in the past. Jesus took on the punishment of sin for us. He's called a man of sorrows in the book of Isaiah. He's acquainted with grief, and he took that on for us so that as we walk through hard things, we have an empathetic high priest who can walk with us. Now, again, I've referenced there's some hardship in this. It's hard to be honest in the church. Grace, let's be honest. It's hard to be honest with God. Grace, let's be honest. And then lastly, all around us is a positivity-oriented Christianity, which I submit to you is not biblical Christianity. The whole thing is not intended just to be positive, but Jesus meeting us in our suffering is a far better story than Jesus just giving us good things all the time. And so if you fall into the trap of positivity-only Christianity, then that is unsustainable and it's building your house on sinking sand. I understand why you would do that. I get it. There's a certain sense at which you've got to keep things shallow 
Because if it gets too deep and too heavy, you don't know how to respond. So there's a certain sense by which I understand how people are drawn to, like, positivity. But positivity is fleeting. What's not fleeting is real hope. Real encouragement from a God who meets you in the midst of your suffering. So we want to close down the prayer series by asking you the question, are you being real with God with what's going on in your life? Or are you just hoping things get better? Are you crying out to God about what's really going on? Because the reality of our world, the reality of our lives, like it's just too much to bear on our own. What's causing you pain and disappointment and fear is just too much to bear on your own. God wants to hear the deepest cry of your soul. Please, Grace Church, do not wake up one day two years from now and realize you became cynical in your prayer life. Do not wake up two years from now saying you've been doing shallow, finitist Christianity instead of diving in and being honest with where you are. If we want to see the fire of God, metaphorically, not actually, metaphorically fall in our midst, it's going to fall in our midst when we are honest with each other and we are honest with God and we cry out to him. If God, like just pretend for a moment, if God magically answered every prayer you prayed last month, Who would be a Christian now because of what you prayed? What would be different in your family? What would be different in North Park? What would be different in San Diego? What would be different in Grace Church if God heard your prayers and responded to all of them, magically just said yes? Everywhere you look, there is need. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Boldly make your request known. Do not grumble more than you pray. Talk to him. Connect with him. And you will find that your strength is, your, your faith is strengthened. And that God is the treasure of Christianity. So I want to pray that we would be these kind of people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word that shows us how to be honest with you. God, it's not easy to be honest with you. It's, it's not natural for us. God, we, we tend to be reserved. We tend to hold back. But God, I recognize that this, this type of content, this, this lament content, it's so vital for us right now to strengthen our faith. And God, we, we receive the fact that you've, you've, you've required this of us. You want us to come to you and to, to, to cry out. But God, would you teach us how to do that? Lord, there's a lot of things in the world that break your heart, and those things are breaking our heart. And, and God, if we don't learn how to, to take that stuff to you, we're not going to grow. So, Father, I I come before you right now, and I want to practice this right now, Lord. God, I want to call your character into action on behalf of Grace Church. God, that what it's been like over the last few years and all the transitions and COVID and all the brokenness around us, God, we want to call your character into action right now.
that God, we would see you move mightily in this next season of Grace Church. God, that we would see our friends and our family who don't know Jesus be drawn to Jesus through the the people in Grace Church. God, we pray that supernaturally the prayer life of Grace Church would increase and that all across the church we would have people that engage with you powerfully and profoundly and cry out to you and that you move in our midst, God. We pray that our connection as a church would increase profoundly and dramatically. We'd be in each other's lives. We'd be in each other's homes and we would experience the gift of the church. The church is a gift. You've given us a gift in the church, God, but we experience that gift. And God, we call your character into action on behalf of the burdens and the brokenness that are all around us. God, would you supernaturally remove some of these burdens from our church, people that are lonely and hurting and struggling, and the person that was trying to get pregnant, God, supernaturally, we pray in the next month or two, they would see a, a, a pregnant result on a test, God, that you would, you would move. And God, we come to you, and we say that we can't do this. You have to do it. Your word is clear that Jesus builds the church, so we ask, Jesus, would you build your church right here in our midst? And God, would you start with us? Help us to be honest with you, Lord. God, save us from criticism. Save us from cynicism. God, may we not be cynical Christians. May we be Christians who have hope in the resurrection of Christ. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.